Welcome to this very, very special uh, tip of the iceberg episode. It's very special for many reasons, but I think you'll love it. So we have two guests on our show today, and they are here to provide perspective that Brittany and I might not have. And we are so happy to have them because today we are going to be talking on this beautiful Christmas week about Christmas movies, particularly Hallmark movies, right? We all know what I'm talking about when I say Hallmark movies, right? It's like, it doesn't have to be Hallmark brand, but they're those genre of movies that are Hallmark-esque where it's like the same plot line, but it's delightful and then there's snow and it's it's the whole scene, right? We all know what I'm talking about. You can't have it without the snow. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Unless... Unless it's a Hallmark movie that is hinging on not having snow. That's a twist. It is a twist. About as twisty as the Hallmark movies get, I'll say. Like, you know, the, the California Christmas or whatever. Those are I don't know. I was, I was pretty surprised by the ending of this Hallmark movie that we're about <laughs> to discuss. Well, Brittany is right. Our guests and ourselves have watched a, a Hallmark movie. Not Hallmark exactly, but a Netflix original Hallmark-esque movie, and we're going to discuss it. But without further ado, let's get to know our Hallmark movie specialists that are on the podcast today. Emily and Domingo, do you want to introduce yourselves? Yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Grateful to be here. My name is Domingo. Um, I'm a newbie. This is my first time watching a Hallmark film. So it was my first time getting that kind of experience of what the plot was and everything going beforehand. I didn't know much, but um, after watching, I think I'll watch a couple more just to get a better feel of it. I'm Emily. I grew up watching Hallmark movies. I've actually seen this one a couple of times. Um, love them. Love the cliche love stories. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Yes, we are so happy to have Emily and Domingo here because while Domingo falls on the far spectrum of not seeing any Hallmark movies until very recently, until for this podcast, and Emily falls on the other side of loving, loving Hallmark movies, Brittany and I fall in the middle. We are quite indifferent about Hallmark movies. You know, we've seen our fair share, don't have strong feelings. And so between the four of us, we kind of cover the spectrum of Hallmark movie love, I feel like. I feel like we did a good job covering our bases. Mm -hmm. Do you I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm indifferent about Hallmark movies. I'm just not like an expert like Emily is. Even better, even better. I'm not passionate about, I guess you could say I'm not passionate about Hallmark movies. Okay, so we have Emily who's passionate about Hallmark movies, Brittany who likes them, me yeah and then Domingo who's like just along for the ride never really seen a Hallmark movie until today I feel like we've done a good job covering that spectrum yeah okay so today we are talking about the Netflix original Christmas Inheritance Brittany set the scene for us spoiler alert we are going to be talking about Christmas Inheritance so if you haven't seen it and you want to see it click away right now but if not Brittany Take us away. So the movie um, was released in 2017. Um, There was a lot of handshaking that was going on that made me very nervous because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I just, I, that like, that probably caused the most emotional reaction. 
Brittany, you are so I don't know how many movies or TV episodes I've seen where I've been like, where are your masks? What are <laughs> and it's like 2006 and there are no. Yeah. Clearly this was pre-COVID. Clearly. <laughs> but anyways, um, so the, the movie centers around a woman in her 20s um, named Ellie. Um and she lives in New York. She is the daughter of a CEO of a toy company. Now, her father founded the toy company, which is very a very successful multi-million dollar toy company with his good friend in his hometown. Um, and this will come back later. But so she's basically an heiress to this fortune and this company because when her father retires, he wants to name her the CEO of this toy company. And of course, it being Christmas, a toy company is like the perfect um, business for this family, this Hallmark family to be a part of. So Ellie, in her life in New York, she is engaged to a very uh good-looking gentleman well I don't know if I'd call him a gentleman but he's a he's a very good-looking man and he um and they seem to kind of match each other as far as being um concerned like um being concerned with like clothing and their Im- their public image um they're kind of you know what you would typically expect from like a a celebrity that's in the limelight of New York um somebody who likes being in the limelight you know um so the you know the first time you meet Ellie she's fundraising for toys for tots and in order to raise money she's doing like gymnastics tricks And she gets some bad publicity from that. And her dad is like, what are you doing with yourself? Like, I thought I, you know, was going to name you the CEO, but I don't know if you take this seriously. I don't know if I can trust you. And she was like, just give, yeah. I think bad publicity is an understatement. Like, let's play that out. (laughs) While though, although she was there for a good cause and she was raising money, which was, this was the interesting part. Somebody told her that he would like, triple his donation or whatever if she did a back some fancy gymnast move or something but she's wearing this like cute short cupcake dress and so she does this backflip and all the while her dress like falls over her head and you see her little underpants and then she flops into the christmas tree mm-hmm. it's a whole thing it's and that's the front page photo of her with like her dress up underwear showing fallen in this Christmas tree. So maybe bad publicity was a little bit of an understatement. So that's kind of the first time we meet her. And so she is talking with her dad and, and she's like, well, give me a test of some kind. Like I need to prove myself to you. And he says, well, there is this, you know, yearly Christmas tradition where um, I take a box of letters that we have written that I've written to him every year with an update on the what we've done with the company and I hand deliver that to my co-founder in this small town that we grew up in that he he still lives in in Snowfall 
I don't know where Snowfall is. It's some, it's a very small town. There's barely any, you know, phone service. So it's like a high contrast to New York, basically. Everything that you nor- New York isn't is kind of how it uh, is being portrayed. And so the catch is, though, she has to deliver these, these letters Um, which is the culmination of like 30 years of Christmas updates along with the new letter that he will be writing for her to take. And she can't tell anybody who she is so that she's treated like a normal person. And she can only go with a hundred dollars and no extra money, no, um, no credit cards, no nothing. And, um, and she has to get by with just a hundred dollars and it's supposed to only be for one night. Like she's just supposed to, you know, go there, hand this box over to the co-founder and then come back basically, hopefully in time for her and her fiance to spend, um, Christmas in Miami, Malibu, Maui, something that starts, Maui, something that starts with an M. (laughs) Something that starts with an M and is very sunny. Um, so that's what she's tasked with. Obviously, when she talks to her fiance about this, he's um, a little bit leery. He's like, are you kidding? You're, you're going to go without your credit cards? What? Where even is this place? Um, and he has some concerns about her making it back in time for Christmas. And she's like, no, 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 it's going to be okay. It's going to be easy. Blah, blah, blah. I can do this. So she gets there immediately. Like she has like three huge things of luggage. Oh, and by the way, she had to take the bus, which she has never done before. She thought there was room, not room service, but like uh, an attendant on the bus and stuff. And so it's like, a, it's a learning experience for Ellie, this whole thing. Even getting to Snowfall is a learning experience for her. And she has this fancy big luggage. She has three huge suitcases just for one night. <laughs> Brittany, I am glad that that stuck out to you as well, because Brittany and I have bought our fair share of bus tickets and gotten clients on buses. And I will tell you, they are very strict about the bags that you can and cannot take. That's the first thing that stood out to me. I was watching it and I was like, Mm-mm, that is not the way it goes. She can't take three suitcases. Nah. Very unrealistic. So that's Mark one, Mark in the negative for this movie as far as realistic. You know nothing about buses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So she gets there and immediately one of her, um, one of her luggage, luggage suitcases, um, escapes from her cause it's on rollers. So it goes in the middle of the street. It's promptly run over by the only taxi in town. And that's how she meets the love interest. Now I can't, I know I literally just watched this movie like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> But I cannot remember his name. It's Jake. 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 That's right. Okay. Thank mm-hmm. you for that. Um, so she meets Jake and they kind of hit it off um, pretty early on, which I kind of, which I actually appreciated. It wasn't like a hate love type thing, which is what you see a lot of the times. Um, but, and so he takes her to the, the inn 
where, which is what the co-founder he owns that in that she's going to be staying at. And so she's just learning all this stuff, like, you know, what the real world is like, you know, there's no room service at this inn. Um, she has to go, she has to walk all the way to a diner to get her food, all this stuff. She doesn't, she only plans, you know, to spend her hundred dollars over the course of, you know, one night basically. So she uses all of her money in that one night. Turns out that Zeke, the co-founder is out of town and she's like, well, how can I give him this box? I'm supposed to give it right to him. I can't give it to anybody else. So she has to, she ends up spending a few days there. Um, and cutting it close for their trip to Maui. Um, But she spends all her money in the first day. So what is she going to do? Well, she, she works for, she works her way through the next few days. She of course starts off uh, being a housekeeper at the inn and that goes disastrously. Um, And then she, you know, when the, Uh, when Jake asks her what her profession was or is in New York, she lies and tells him that he, she was a baker because she's like, well, there's no kitchen here. So it's not like he can put me to the test, but he's smart. So he sets her up helping his aunt who owns the, the, um, the local diner. He's like, well, you can help her out in her kitchen. And Ellie's like, great. (laughs) (laughs) And so the first thing the aunt does is like put her to work separating eggs. <laughs> and I think this was my favorite part of the whole movie <laughs> is she's just like the aunt comes back into the kitchen and sees Ellie like staring at this bowl of eggs. And Ellie's like, so do you want them separated by like shape or weight? <laughs> which makes sense like if you have never baked before of course that makes sense obviously she's talking about separating the yolks from the egg whites sure but if you have never baked or been in a kitchen at all that is a very logical question right i got you ellie you're fine (laughs) that was that was definitely the funniest part of the whole movie so anyways, she gets along with the aunt. The aunt actually figures out who she is, even though Ellie hasn't said anything. Um, and so then Ellie, you know, continues to like learn stuff in the kitchen. The aunt, uh, Jake's aunt is teaching her how to bake. Um, Ellie is getting closer to Jake, who is um, his profession actually is managing the end. So they're around each other all the time. Um they there's charity is brought up a lot in the movie as well like they pass this local you know man that um is homeless that is um sitting on the sidewalk you know um asking for help and jake gives him some money and ellie's like doesn't give him anything um partly because she doesn't you know she only has that hundred dollars. So she barely has any money, you know, in her own life. It's all relative. Right. Um, and then also she says that, well, my fiance, he says that, um, he doesn't give money to people, you know, begging on the streets because he says that it's really like not good for them to give them money because they should just go out and get a job. Like if we just keep giving them money, 
they're never going to get a job. And Jake is like, well, that's, um, I mean, no. <laughs> a lot like, of people I don't, have that perspective, though. Well, so you do, you do or you don't think. Oh, I, so I think if you do a lot of social service work, you see that it gets a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Let me tell you, growing up, that was everyone's perspective. That's what mm-hmm. it was, I was told. And it was only when I went to school that I was like, wait, <laughs> this is more complicated. There's some issues here. But all growing up, everybody was like, yeah, you can't, you can't give them money because they can't use it responsibly because they're homeless and they got themselves homeless. So you got to donate to a program. Otherwise, the, that's the only way. And then you go to school and you're like, okay, well, there's it's uh, complicated. Eh, you're not, it's yeah, you're not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Jake is like, well, I mean, look at him. Like he, pre- like he's going to use that money to buy food. Like, how is that wrong? You know? And she's like, well, I mean, okay, maybe, and then this, um, they get to know each other more. Obviously, they're falling in love, despite the fact that she has a fiance in New York. Um, and also, like, the, the communication she's able to have with her fiance is almost non-existent during this entire time because the phones go out. You know, there's barely any cell service, if any at all. There's a big, of course, there's a big winter storm that happens. And a bunch of people's, their power goes out, but it's, the power is still on in the inn. So they, the inn takes in a bunch of people that otherwise would not have had heat. And Ellie's seeing like, wow, this guy, Jake, like, he's so great. Like, he's so nice. He's going out of his way to make sure that these people have a, a safe, warm place to stay tonight. And she's inspired. She's like, wait a minute. We forgot that homeless man. So she runs out. She grabs the homeless man and brings him in. And Jake is like, wow, she's really nice too. Oh, they're both nice. Mm-hmm. And then Ellie gives up her bed to a woman, her baby and her top and her and her older child. And Ellie's like holding this baby and it's like, oh, the baby likes me. (laughs) I assume that's pivotal to the plot. The baby likes her. I mean, it's like beforehand, she had never thought about like having a family. Mm. It seemed like she was like, oh, no, I don't want to hold the baby. She was like, I don't know about that. But now, being in this town, she's starting to think about who she is and what she wants with her life. And is actually thinking about, like, a future is what it seems like. Well, yes and no. I agree with you. I think she's reevaluating. But I think in New York, she was thinking about a future just differently. Because she did really want to be the CEO. Yeah, that's true wanted to be like the this high class New York power woman CEO lady. And so that's kind of a departure from it seems holding this baby, she's like, oh wait. Yeah. I can have a baby. Mm-hmm. Because I am woman. 
Yeah. I think it also kind of made her realize how important it is to have like family and friends and have that like support system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it seemed like her only, like it didn't really talk much really actually about her life in New York, but the only people we really meet is her fiance and her dad. Mm-hmm. And so there, you do kind of get this sense that, um, and like she never talks about anybody else either. So you do kind of get a sense that her life over there is a little bit lacking in the relationship and connection department. Especially connection. I think mm-hmm. the word that comes to mind for me is shallowness. Like I think there's just a shallowness to her life. She's doing a lot of fun things in which are fun for her. But I think her connections and her relationships are shallow. And maybe that's the difference is when she goes to snow falls and sees these extremely deep relationships she's like wait this is different Mm -hmm. and there's also like a con like because the charity aspect was a part from the literally the first scene of the movie so she was engaged in charity work even in new york it was just very different than uh, like it was it was kind of a disconnected type of charity work um which again is that contrast between being disconnected in new york versus being connected in snowfalls snowfall snowfalls yes snowfalls (laughs) um all right Brittany, finish us off how does the story end so the story ends with her fiance coming to rescue her even though she didn't ask for it and like he comes with the car and he's like well i figured you know you didn't have cell service up here or whatever couldn't get a hold of you we got to go to maui i came to get you um and then she kind of realizes like how rude and not nice he is and she's like and then so they leave to maui um after jake finds out well on the on the way leaving Jake finds out that who she really is and he's hurt and he looks her up on the internet and he's like, wow, who is this person? Like, this is not the person that I know here. I've been, you know, like, so he's hurting because he feels deceived um, and like he fell for somebody who doesn't exist. Um, So Ellie and her fiance are driving away and she's looking in this box with the letters because she didn't get, she wasn't able to give it to Zeke. And she's like, oh, I failed. And then she realizes that one, that the letter for this year is missing and she's freaking out. She's like, I have to go back to the end. The letter must be there. I have to go back to the end. And her fiance is like, no, we're not turning back. We have to make this flight, you know? And like, honestly, I've been, I've been patient up until now, but I'm putting my foot down. We're just going to Maui screw or sorry, forget about this this test and this you know family tradition of yours and she's like you know what I could do without you and she like gives him his ring back she breaks off the engagement and she takes us a bus back to snowfalls just in time for the silent auction the Christmas silent auction and then at the Christmas silent auction of course there's a Santa Claus Turns out he has this year's note because it's Zeke. And there was this plan all along that Zeke and her father concocted um, to basically 
have her get ready to be the next CEO. Um, and so this letter that Zeke reads from her father explains how um, her father wanted her to experience life without being an heiress, experience a small town life, experience like what real, like basically the, sp- the real spirit of the toy company when it was originally founded in that town. Um, and she didn't have, it turns out she didn't even have that letter to begin with. It went directly to Zeke and he was hiding the entire time she was there so that it would all culminate in this one moment of surprise because nobody saw that coming. (laughs) And I assume that she stays single um, so it's kind of open-ended, but they do have a dance. Her and Jake. Yeah. Does it end with a kiss? As all good Hallmark movies should. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So here we are at the tip of the iceberg. We have heard the story and now it is time to dig deeper. All right. So let's, let's dig a little bit into this in terms of our work. What are your first impressions? Do you think that this is, this was good at starting relationships? Do you think that there were problems? What do you think? I think we need to talk about the fiance. <laughs> yeah. Yes, let's. He is not modeling a healthy relationship. He was like, yeah, just not nice in general and just kind of railroaded especially at the end like definitely railroaded over what she you know what was important to her mm-hmm. and also didn't take like he wasn't supportive really of this whole thing um that, he was that, like whatever do what you want as long as you're back for maui that was my thought as well is like very clearly she was very invested very in Mm-hmm. She really wanted to be her best self and and complete this and self growth and sacrifice for her professional and personal growth, and he kind of undercut that. It felt like not only did he just not care, but it seemed like he sowed the seeds of doubt in her. Like mm-hmm. you actually can't do this. This is yeah. not cool, um, and was not supportive in that way. Yeah. I agree when uh, she said doubted her because uh she was making cookies and baking stuff and she was like there was a part where she was like do you want to try this cookie he's like i made it and he was like you know i don't do sugar came off very rude but then he was also like will you wait you made these like i didn't i didn't think you could bake she's like well you don't believe i've actually made these so i agree with what libby said and it also seemed like he was like you know very controlling when he came pulled up in his bmw was like you know i'm here to take you back i was worried about you didn't think that uh, ellie could take care of herself as well mm-hmm. yeah and like getting by without credit cards and only on a hundred dollars, just, he was very skeptical, skeptical of her ability to do really any of it. Mm -hmm. And then there was a part where uh, she was talking to Jake and then she, one that that stood out to me was like, uh, I'm sorry for gray, her fiance. I'm sorry that he was rude back there. This is kind of way she, that's the kind of way, that's just the type of person he is. I think (laughs) a lot of relationships that are like that go like one person doesn't, I mean, they know that they know it and they know that that's their type of person, but you know, it's just like hard to imagine that like that's who they can actually be. You know, it's, it's hard for them to actually realize it and take it into and consideration it. and accept mm-hmm. it. 
they're actually, you know, they're actually a really, really rude person to other people that I love. Yeah, I think it's like hard. It's hard to imagine like describing your partner just to be like, yeah, he's he's just like not a nice guy. That's just who he is. <laughs> oh, tell me, tell me about your fiance. Well, you know, he has brown hair and he's a total jerk. Um, he, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, what about the relationship between her and her dad? How was that? Um, I, you know, when the when she was at the Christmas ball and she did her little gymnastics thing and made the front page, he was like, you know, she told her, he, she told her dad what happened. He's like, well, someone dared me and I would do it for charity. They would send me a huge check. And he's like, well, what are you, you know, how old are you? You're 13 years old. And she got, you know, really upset. She felt like she was letting her dad down. She wanted to prove to her dad, you know, that she could do something. So even though she came from the wealthier side, um, like her fiance did. I don't, I don't think she had those traits where she was rude and snobby. She really wanted to, you know, prove to her dad that she can do this and, you know, make her dad proud. So I think their relationship, um, I don't know, it kind of depended. Cause I know they talked about, um, her mom passing away when she was younger. So I feel like that disconnection was a big, made a big impact in her life where she, you know, maybe lost a few of her connections and who she really was. And I think her dad, you know, kind of raising her after her, wife died was kind of hard on him as well so you know that was probably a big part of the movie as well mm-hmm. yeah I think Domingo you're spot on because it doesn't feel the same as her relationship with what was his name her fiance gray 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 he didn't it didn't feel the same as if he was controlling or like undercutting or anything like that it felt more as if he knew who she truly was and that this wasn't it Mm-hmm. And so his relationship with her, I felt, seemed a lot more healthy, maybe disconnected. Your word is really good. Disconnected and distant. I wouldn't say it's like a super healthy relationship, but I don't think it was unhealthy. I don't know. I think I got the sense like, um, I mean, just, you know, in talking about when he confronted her about the, the you know, charity stunt or whatever, um, you know, like, what are you, like 13 or, you know, a kid? I think that that to me is like not a super um, healthy or constructive way <laughs> to approach that conversation. And it's very patronizing, mm-hmm. um, which I guess like he is her dad, but she's also a grown woman and he's like total, like, it just seems like he's not listening to her at all. Like she, I mean, sure. Maybe it didn't end the best. Right. Or maybe it wasn't a, the best, you know, a great decision to make, but her heart was in the right place. And to a certain extent, like she had a good reason <laughs> for doing this stunt, you know? And, and so it's like, okay, like I get why, how you did it or why you did it, but like, maybe could we like redirect this, you know, enthusiasm and creativity into some other, you know, better way to raise money or something, you know, not just calling somebody a child. Right. So something you said stood out to me and it made me think back to probably in the first 20 minutes of watching this movie. When you said that he was patronizing to her, I completely agree. I remember watching the first 20 movie minutes of this movie, especially, and feeling as though she was moving from directions given by all of the men in her life. And it seems like there was 
a good good amount of of men like her dad gave her a lot of instructions and she followed them and then gray gave her some instructions and she followed them and even when she got to snow falls then she was following jake's instructions mm-hmm. right like i i felt like she was almost at the whims of all of the the more powerful forces and mm-hmm. they were yeah and zeke too because she couldn't she couldn't finish what she was doing without zeke mm-hmm. yeah So what was her real, like, really, what was her autonomy in this story? I was really excited when she kind of took the initiative on the auction. That was, like, the first time that she wasn't doing something because, like, a man told her to. That was when she decided, like, this is my plan. This is what I want to do. And that was really, I think, a big moment for her. Mm -hmm. Away from their, their direction and ties. Yeah, I agree. I think that's when she, I think that's, it seemed to me when the power dynamic shifted from her being controlled by all of the other forces to her making the choice as to what she wanted to do. And there's this really touching moment at the end where she, her dad shows up, like Brittany said, and she said, and he says, you're going to be the new CEO. And she's like, great, because I have an idea and this is what I want to do. And that's that's one of those moments where it's very clear that she has taken her power back from um, where it was before. And the other moment too, like, and, and she kind of gets some pushback about this from Jake is when she goes out to get the that man off the streets. Mm. Because she did that, like nobody told her to do that. She was just inspired by by Jake's hospitality. And he was like angry at her for going out into the storm. Mm-hmm. That was just protective. But like, I don't know. I, I didn't like that so much. <laughs> no, that scene bothered me as well. Especially his comment when he kind of said like, you went like, why did you go without me? Like you should have taken me. Like she wasn't capable of doing it. And granted, yes, like she didn't have the best winter clothing on. But, like, she was fully capable of, like, going and getting that man. And the high heels, though. The high heels. Oh. Can't imagine. That's a good point what you guys bring about the power dynamic, about the men in her life. Because, about again, about her mom passing away when she was young, you know, and then her dad in her life and her fiancé. And then um, Jake as well, you know. looking, She was looking for directions for men to help her. You know, like at the bus stop when she was like, you know, is this where I put my luggage? And then the guy, and there was a male bus driver. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll take care of it. You know, she was like looking for someone um, to help her take care of her. But when she had that connection with um, Jake's aunt, who was also friends with her dad and her mom, they knew him in high school, it was more, their relationship was more she could give in to her and, you know, tell her about her feelings. And then, you know, she found out who she actually was. And she was like, like, you know, please keep it a secret. I'm trying to do this for my dad. She's like, of course, honey, you know, I'll keep it a secret. I, and I encourage you. And she was more encouraging and supportive of her. So I guess that's the kind of relationship she was missing when her mom passed away was with, mm-hmm. um, well. Yeah, that is such a good point. Emily, did I interrupt you? Oh, I was just saying that the aunt was really empowering for her. Like she kind of gave her the space that she needed to make those decisions and like be successful. And she supported her in a healthy and constructive way. Yeah. 
I agree. And I think that perhaps is the shift because Domingo, you're totally right. And I didn't even think about that, but through the whole movie, it is her moving from man to man, to man, to man, looking for directions in small and large ways, just like the bus driver. And I think one of those pivotal shifts is when she did meet the, the aunt and that's when things started to shift. I think that's a really good point. One other thing that I want to talk about um, is red flags in the relationships. Obviously, we've talked about Gray and how there were some red flags there. But I want to talk about things with Jake. What I notice in Hallmark-esque movies is that a lot of times there might be some red flags, but they're tied up in a cute Christmas bow. And it's part of just the romantic storyline. And as domestic violence advocates, we might be like, oh, that's don't like that. But it has some like glitter on it in movies like this. So are there any of those moments in this story, whether it be with Gray or with Jake, um, that are red flags that might be disguised as something romantic? Um, I think when Jake was like, you know, when they were both up and everyone was sleeping in the hotel, he's like, can I show you something? And they went on a walk and he showed those icicles. And then, um, you know, it was like very predictable that they were going to kiss. And they're like, you know, he even said, he was like, are we going to, are we going to kiss now to LA? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And they were going to go in and she's like, wait, no, I can't. I have a fiance. And he's like, no, you're he's like, you're totally right. I don't know what came over me. I'm sorry. You know, I shouldn't, I don't know what happened. That's not me at all. You know, I think that's a thing like, you know, like he thought like, you know, this is the moment I'm going to kiss her, even though she has a fiance, this, you know, this is what I want to do. And then he was like, oh no, you're, completely right I shouldn't have done that absolutely good point I was very I was confused by that scene I'm like wait a minute she has a fiance yeah definitely a setup to get a kiss yeah (laughs) yeah yeah one thing I noticed too is Brittany you mentioned that they got along pretty early on which I agree um but I do think that there was some moments where he was really gruff with her like the gruff small town guy the man the man the man you know um I don't think that was necessarily healthy what are your thoughts on that I agree. He just kept like, like, oh, like she's just the girl, like she's just at the inn, like she's just a city girl from New York, kind of like making it seem like she's not as important. And I think they kind of like sweeped it under the rug, like, oh, well, he had the girl that like broke his heart, so it's okay. Right, right. Well, not okay. Yeah, that was my thought as well. He said some pretty demeaning marks, remarks. He was He was pretty hostile towards her. And then later on, there's this point where the the bakery aunt is like, well, there was a woman that broke his heart. And she's like, oh, that's right. All of this mistreatment is fine now because he got broken up with. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Right? Totally that's- fine. And I mean, to an extent it does, right? Like it makes sense that you might have a hard time opening up to somebody if you've been hurt before, but that can turn toxic really quickly and at, in healthy relationships with healthy adults, you need to, to move forward from that or at least give context like, yeah, I'm sorry about that, but I don't think there ever was an apology. And I think that was just part of the love story, right? Mm-hmm. And then also like towards the end when he finds out who she is and he looks her up online and he's like, 
he almost seems like disgusted by what he sees about her online and he's just like really rude to her after and not I mean like outright you know mean and I mean it's one thing to be like I'm hurt that you didn't feel like you could trust me with this information I thought we were at least friends or whatever but no he's just like disgusted and he acts like he's disgusted with her he was like shaming her for Mm -hmm. like the picture on the newspaper of her in like the little dress with her skirt up it was like like he kept bringing that up like oh like you're just a party girl and he didn't like take the time to like see if there's anything else about her he just like took that one like moment and was like oh like you're just like a wild girl I agree. And when like, she was checking out and she was going to be like, well, is Zeke here yet? And he was like, no. He's like, well, can I, can I leave these, box, these letters with you? And then he was uh, something, something along the lines of like, this is why I don't, this is why I left New York because of people like you. So he was like generalizing, like, this is why all people from New York are just like her, you know, they're deceiving, they're liars, they're rude people. You know, he was just very upset, but also going like, she tried to explain like, you know, I didn't mean to deceive you. I was trying to, you know, I wasn't technically, I technically was lying, but I was doing it, you know, to help my dad and all this. And he, he, she, he didn't want to hear her side of the story and why he did that. And everything, you know, he wasn't trying to get um, Jake to fall in love with her and all that. That wasn't part of her plan at all. You know, it just kind of went that way. This, it kind of reminds me of like, sometimes like what, what you'll hear in like a, a client or like a survivor's narrative of like what they've been through is that they're, you know, who, the person that abused them will quite frequently like tell them about a previous relationship or somebody else that has like, quote unquote, done them wrong, you know? And then, and then they say to their victim, you know, like, I thought you were different, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> Absolutely, Brittany. That is so true. And I think, okay, so take this with a grain of salt, right? Because we are really nitpicking at this story because that's what we do and we're very good at it. And these things aren't necessarily abusive in any way, right? They can be, but they're not necessarily abusive. But I think it's important to talk about how they're portrayed in these movies because when we're in relationships we all have fights we all say terrible things and we are not proud of ourselves when we play dirty in our relationships and everybody does it it's human but in healthy relationships you come back from that and you apologize and you work through it whereas I think a lot of times Hallmark movies are guilty of portraying these things in a way that romanticizes them almost and Mm -hmm. sets an expectation like this is just what relationships are he's going to be terrible to you for the first half hour of this movie and then nothing's going to change but you'll be in love now it's kind of like the beauty and the beast situation right and so again not necessarily bad by themselves but i think as a feature of the genre that happens too frequently. Well, and I think also what happens when it's wrapped up in this, you know, pretty package is that the message that it's sending, and I, and I think that a lot of the times these unhealthy um, relationship flags are used as a way to tell the viewer like, oh, he cares about her. 
like his concern about her going out to get this, you know, guy off the streets, like he really cares about her. And the fact that he was so rude to her and mean to her about finding out who she really is, like he only he only is like that because he really cares about her and he's really hurt by her deception. And so what kind of message is that telling people? Such a great point. She even mentioned it after the like incident where she went out to get the homeless man. Like she said like, "Oh, like do you care about me?" like was like teasing him because he was saying mm-hmm. like you went out without me. They're even they're like actually saying that it's because he cares about her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this quote that I love. Oh, geez. I wish I would have looked it up before we started this. I didn't realize I was going to say it, but it's something like um, red flags are just flags when you wear rose colored glasses. And I feel as though that definitely can be found in the Hallmark genre. And again, like one red flag in a relationship is very different than 15. But my worry is that people that see and fall in love with Hallmark movies, because they're great. They are great. We'll give them that. But without kind of checking this and like uh, contextualizing it a bit, this becomes the norm. This is just a flag. This is just the way that it goes rather than the red flag that it might show up in their relationship. It might look different on the Hallmark movie than in your own relationship. I was actually talking to Domingo about that right before this. And I was saying like, growing up watching these movies, I always like imagined that I was going to be the like, businesswoman who has like no time for a social life like super absorbed in her work and I'm gonna go somewhere and this like man's gonna save me and like make my life all better because that's like how it's pictured is like the girl has all these issues in her life and then she meets the man and so like I think like I actually like thought that growing up because I think I watched so many of these movies and it's not they're not bad movies but I think if you're not having those conversations on like, oh, well, that's actually like not a healthy behavior. Then it could lead to a lot of issues. I would really love to see a Hallmark movie where the main character ends up alone. And it's okay. Yep. She's happy with it. She's independent. She's true to herself. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Really good points. And Emily, thank you for sharing that too, because I I think that's a really good point. And that was my worry watching this. I didn't grow up watching Hallmark movies. I found them now in my life and now watch a few of them here and there. Um, but that was my worry, right? Is like that becomes part of your identity and what you're searching for. And unless you do challenge that, like you said, you're kind of in for a bumpy ride, it seems. Um, so... All all this to say, I guess, that there are some great things in Hallmark movies. Awesome. Like we've talked about. And then there are also some some challenges. And it's important to have those balances and, and point out the things that might not necessarily be helpful and point out the things that are helpful, right? Because if there are parts of this, this story that speak to you, then that might be something you're looking for in a relationship. 
for better or for worse. And that's okay. But there are also parts that you're probably not looking for in a relationship. And you get to, to pick what that looks like for you. So can I read a, a quote that I found by the Hallmark channel that describes what they aim to do with their movies? Oh, please. Yes. Okay. So this is a quote and this was because I had looked up um, diversity <laughs> in Hallmark movies, which historically hasn't been great, but they're working towards being more inclusive, both racially, ethnically, and um, LGBTQ-wise. But um, this uh, was a quote from them back in 2019. Um, Our movies are rooted in warmth and positivity, meaningful connections, family gatherings, and seasonal traditions. A winning formula we hope will bring our millions of viewers much-needed levity and holiday cheer at the end of a tough year. And I think it does that a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. I think it does that a lot of the times, but I also think sometimes it falls short. And as advocates in gender-based violence and volunteers who are involved with gender-based violence, I think we see that. We see where it falls short and where, and we think it's important. I'm trying to imagine too, like, because I think people think about Hallmark movies and, you know, these kind of types of movies on Netflix and stuff is that like everybody has access to them now, you know? Um, and imagining watching a movie like this while you're still in an abusive mm. relationship. And something that we always see around this time of year at our advocacy program is that the numbers of victims and survivors reaching out for help, it, it diminishes drastically. And we know it's still happening. It's just that, you know, the, there's something about like the holiday themes, you know, about keeping up with your connections. It's all about family and sticking together and kind of the warmth of being together um, that, you know, is, is cultivated by movies like this, which I'm not necessarily saying is a bad thing. Um, but what it does is that when you're in unhealthy and an unhealthy or abusive relationship, like it, you know, stops you from reaching out. I not, it doesn't necessarily like it's complicated, right. But it makes you more inclined to stay where you're at in the moment until the holidays are over. You get swept under the rug. Yeah, swept on. Yes. Everything is kind of swept under the rug more to um in order to have that happy holiday <laughs> i don't know if i explained that right <laughs> no i th i think that makes perfect sense Brittany. i think i think it totally does well thank you for listening to this podcast thank you so much emily and domingo for helping us have this conversation today if you are interested in the movie that we talked about again it's called christmas inheritance and it is on netflix if you are a person that has been watching or not watching Hallmark movies and is swept up in the holiday spirit, but maybe still needs some help, maybe still has some of those red flags, has some of those toxic, abusive um, things happening in your relationship, please reach out to an advocate. We are here for you even Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. 
whenever we are here for you, give our hotline number a call at 307-745-3556 and have a happy holiday.